0: Hey, my name is Scott Kingry, and I'm teaching Understanding the Transgender Experience with Compassion and Truth. Welcome everybody. I want to give you guys time to eat your lunch. It's always really interesting speaking when people are eating and stuff, you know, it's really <laughs> awesome. And I'm glad. but. Um, I'm sort of always kind of prepare some things that's a little bit not the core talk and give people time and all that kind of stuff and I really do want to maximize our time together because um, we have till about 1 15 then you guys need to be back for the next thing right so I just want to make sure that we have some time Um, so just something we're just going to kind of start with maybe some of you guys have seen this uh, but there was a Gallup poll that came out in February of this year. I think it was in USA Today. um, When we're talking about sort of LGBT identification and how that's on the rise right now. So in 2017, there was 4.5% of US adults identified by some letter under that LGBTQ acronym. And then um, the most recent one is from 2021 is now 5.6 adults are identifying as some LGBTQ acronym letter. And so the question is, so it says, one of the main reasons LGBT identification has been increasing over time is that younger generations are more likely to consider themselves to be something other than heterosexual. This includes about one in six adult members of Generation Z, and that's age 18 to 23 right now. Um, And the way that that breaks down So Gen Z, and this would be people born from 1997 to 2002. um, 15.9% of that demographic is identifying under some acronym letter right now, um, which means about 7.9 would consider a straight or heterosexual identity. Um, And then Gen Z, this is uh, millennials, I'm sorry, millennials So Gen Z was 15.9. Millennials would be 9.1 of that demographic are identifying under an acronym letter. Um, And the way that that breaks down for Gen Z is 11.5 would consider themselves bisexual. That's the largest percentage. Um, Gay would be 2.1, lesbian 1.4, trans 1.8 and other .04. So why the rise suddenly? Why is this rising, continuing to rise? Well, a couple of reasons. In the past, LGBT people hid their identities, and now they feel free to be out. We just sort of see that. I was growing up LGBT. I was just gay. I'll just use, it was only one letter <laughs> back in the 80s. I was like, I kind of missed the 80s, because it was like one, you know? <laughs> Not like 26, but, uh, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of gay characters on television. It was still a really rather underground movement. It was just starting to pick up. The gay movement was just starting to move back in the 70s, right? So people feel freer now. But we also have that cultural influence. First of all, as you can sort of see, I, I have some handouts with a lot of definitions. We just have a lot more gender expansive identities to choose from. Like I said, it was sort of one letter back in the day. Well, now, uh, you know, that age group has all of these very gender expansive identities to choose from. So that's why, another rise. Um, But also, um, and a lot more language, identities, categories of people, media and social influence. So, of course, wow, just this is Pride Month. I don't know if you noticed, but there's rainbow flags everywhere. I was just watching like TNT in my hotel room, and they were like, "Happy Pride," you know, and it was just like, "Wow!" It, it, it was just uh, lots of every corporation is um, got their flags out right now. So just wow, from several decades, just the increase of that, and then, of course, peer influence. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, especially when it in regards to this, the transgender issue, um, but. There is sort of a thing that when you talk to youth, that I might be this kind of awkward, not sure where my place is kind of youth growing up, and suddenly I kind of identify by one of these things, and suddenly I, I become very in, I become very popular. Uh, fortunately, that wasn't happening in the 70s. <laughs> you were like super out, you know. but. I just think that that's happening right now. That there's something that's just really great about not having a non having a non-straight identity label. Um, and really, the thing that I don't hear anybody really talking about, as far as that age group, is just, you know, developmentally, when you think about the things that the needs of people growing, that we have growing up, you know, that adolescent time period is all about identity. Who am I? I need to find, figure out who I am. I want to know who I am, right? So every day they might be, want to be something different. That's very legitimate, a very legitimate developmental need. And I just think as a culture, we're just getting farther and farther away from ourselves. That you sort of see that as a culture, just this really rooted thing about, I just don't know who I am. And I know for me personally, growing up, um, me latching on to that label and that community suddenly gave me an identity. Because I was very lost. I didn't know who I was. We're talking about you know from anywhere from 10 to 25 years old. It was just this real hunger to figure out. And that community had all my answers. Here's your community. Here's how you believe. Here's uh, how you vote. Here's the things that you feel uh, passionate about. It was, uh, I like to call it sort of a LGBTQ script, that we just sort of grab that script, right? So, uh, but it has all my answers. And sadly, the church doesn't quite have as many of those answers that immediately, because we know that becoming a person is a lot more complex, right? Than grabbing ideologies, basically. So I just want to say that that's underneath all the stuff that you see happening in our culture and the rise of this. I just think it's a really legitimate need to figure out who, who you are. Um, and we don't hear about that as often. I'm going to shut my phone off because that won't be distracting. So that's just sort of a, a little thing before we really jump into the core of our talk. Um, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Scott Kingram with a ministry in Denver called Where Grace Abounds. And I usually attend the EPC, uh, General Assembly, and the ECO. My church is in ECO. And way back in the day, I was in PCUSA. So talking about these were, matters were brutal. <laughs> like, I would just come home, like, destroyed, you know. So I'm really glad to not be there right now. Um, but I, so I usually help with a ministry called One by One. And so I sort of represent sort of both those. And they have to do with sort of, you know, talking about faith and sexuality. So um, I just want to give you, there's some handouts on your table. This is, a, you know, we have about an hour or so to be together. And my whole thing is I want to make sure just to put resources in, as much resources in your hands. Maybe some of you are already familiar with a lot of these resources. That's awesome. But um, there's some books. First of all, like where grace abounds is at the top, and we would just love to know how can we serve you as a ministry. There's been times when I've met with uh, different regions of, of um, you know, EPC or Eco congregations to talk about certain issues, or with maybe a particular family and a pastor. Or, but we just want to be available. You know, like a, we have a family and friends ministry. So if. Parents that you know or families need support, we are doing that sort of via Zoom these days. Um, so, there's books, there's websites, all the podcasts and things that I'm going to be referencing in my talk are on that sheet. And then there's just a list of some of the definitions that are out there right now. Uh, so, because this is so complex, um, and I thought I was going to have this screen, which would have been so amazing you know but we have this little small screen but i'm going to pass this around and if you would like a copy of this uh powerpoint i would be glad to send that to you when i get back to denver we also have uh, a newsletter that we put out every month and we just we don't just talk about lgbtq issues we talk about anything in regards to sexuality and faith. So we're talking about sexual addiction, people dealing with sexual abuse, and now we have sort of the gender identity pieces, and and just anything that's relationally, or uh, emotionally, or sexually, we kind of cover those things. So I'll pass this around, just put your name and email on there, and I'll be glad to send you this um, uh, PowerPoint. So, let's see, Do I forget it? The way we're gonna hopefully spend our time is I just wanna give some basic stuff. I'm gonna start pretty basic, because I, I, I never really know sort of how much people know about things, and so some of this might be like, well, that's the really basic, but I, I just wanna make sure that I sort of cover everybody in the room. Um, so we're gonna talk about some basic things. We're gonna talk about some definitions. We're gonna talk about some controversies in the care of all of this kind of stuff. Um, Who's under that trans umbrella and who's not under that trans umbrella? And, um, and what I hope to do is to just run a scenario at the end, like either a child or an adolescent or an adult is in the process of transitioning. And perhaps some of you are already dealing with that. And I would just love for all of us to hear how some of you guys are navigating those things or point, it's just just a good thing, because I don't sit here and claim that I'm like the big expert on any of this at all, but I think we might have a room, everybody here is dealing with a loved one or a neighbor or somebody in that LGBTQ realm and just navigating a relationship and and especially in a season of cancel culture, this is kind of an interesting time period to be in, right? So let's just kind of dive in here. A lot of the materials that I'm using are from three books that are on that list. Uh, Embodied is a book that just recently came out by uh, a gentleman named Preston Sprinkle. I love this book a lot. It's very accessible. It answers almost every single question biblically Care-wise, how do you navigate bathrooms and pronouns and things like that? It's just very practical. Uh, Emergent Gender Identities is by uh, Dr. Julius Sedusky and Mark Yarhouse. And that's sort of why we're getting all these expansive uh, gender identities. And then Understanding uh, Gender Dysphoria is just another good book. So I just really highly recommend those if you want to research deeper. And a lot of the stuff I'm getting is kind of from these. Um... So the big thing that we have going on in our culture right now because of why we're so divided is where are we getting the weight in our identity is that my biology is that my gender identity um, I have this really non PC little thing that we're gonna look at a bigger picture later but the gender-bred person so not PC anymore <laughs> don't tell anybody but I just think it's kind of a nice thing because it's like uh, I have my biological sex. I have my gender identity, which is more here in like the mind, like how I feel. I have my expression, like how am I expressing my gender? We're all kind of expressing our gender in some way right now. The clothes I'm wearing, the hairstyles, the interests I have, um, and we're gonna kind of talk about why that can get a little muddled. But um, So that's why if you're wondering sort of really across the board why we're having so much controversy is because we're defining things very different uh, there are camps that are defining these things very differently and that influences legislation public policy it influences how we care for an individual person Um, so Preston says what is gender and how is it related to sex sex and gender used to be synonyms everything we've said about sex could also be said about gender sex was gender and gender was sex but ever since the late 1960s The terms sex and gender have been used to describe different aspects of our male and female experience. And he goes on to say the American Psychological Association says sex refers to a person's biological status and is typically categorized as male, female, or intersex. We're going to talk about intersex a little bit. There are a number of indicators of biological sex, including sex chromosomes, gonads, internal reproductive organs, and external genitalia. So that's our biology. Does that give weight to my identity, when we're talking about these things? Or is it gender identity describes the psychological aspects associated with being male or female? Or one's internal sense of self as male, female, both or neither? And then gender role, gender stereotypes, sort of complicated, describes the social and cultural aspects of being male or female, sometimes shorthand as masculinity or femininity. So. That's why we now see a 1,000 gender identities. Because if it's all just about how I feel or how I experience things outside of my biology, I can have all these kind of sort of gender expansive identities. That's why we're seeing that. Um, And that's why we have all these sort of complications. I just want to say that that's the cultural battle that we're in right now. Um, So gender stereotypes. OK, so I was like a little kid. We're going to see a really lovely third grade picture of me here soon, but I was a little kid that I had a—I had this temperament that was, I was not rough and tumble, I was artistic, I was super emotional, um, and I did have a lot of gender stuff we're going to unpack a little bit. but So just because I was sort of gravitating to things that were culturally feminine, does that make me a girl? Probably not. It's just my interests, or the fact that we have these stereotypes that are Uh, You know, I think about my poor parents growing up in the 50s, where gender roles were very, very tight. Watch Leave it to Beaver. I don't know what time this woman got up to clean every day. She had pearls on. Crazy. Yeah. And then they have this sort of gender confused little kid in the 70s, and they're just like, we don't even know what to do, right? But I just want to say, so gender stereotypes can be helpful, not helpful. Because like I said, just because someone is sort of navigating to things that our culture would deem either male or female doesn't necessarily mean they're the wrong gender. It just means about interests. Um, I think it's kind of fascinating when you're talking about the trans experience because Caitlyn Jenner, when Caitlyn Jenner got a lot of flack when she came out on Vogue and she was very airbrushed and very makeuped and and they were like, some of the trans community were saying, wow, so that's what being a woman means to you. Pearls, once again, sort of pearls, makeup, big hair. That doesn't necessarily mean ladies, right? (laughs) If that's the standard of womanhood, uh, a lot of people want or don't want that. Same with with male. Uh, Recently, Ellen Page, who's an actress, just came out as Elliot and made a transition. I think uh, he has had surgery and is on hormones now, was on Time Magazine. So suddenly you see Ellen Page with short hair and a sweatshirt and jeans. It's like, was that what it means to be male? So these stereotypes are really interesting. I think some trans people that are experiencing issues around gender might gravitate towards those stereotypes because it's kind of comforting. It might be more of like a coping mechanism, some, not all. But that's just sort of interesting to think. Like, are stereotypes helpful? I, don't, I would say that most of them aren't necessarily biblical. I mean, Jesus was a very radically different male figure in his time. You know, you also had these female characters that were like, you know, stabbing people with tent pegs and things, so, right, you know, yeah. Rock on, right? So, anyway, that's sort of the battle that we're in. Um, just a really quick story, Houston we have a problem because it was 1970, <laughs> right when Apollo 13 was happening, there was a lot going on in our household. Um, just one quick story is it's Christmas. We have the old home movies that they use for scary movies now, but those were our cherished family memories. But you sort of see Christmas night, and you sort of see like my dad's taking photos of the Christmas tree, and there's all the presents laid out. So there's these two football uniforms laid out. I have a younger brother who's a very sports kid. He's a very stereotypically male kid. Um, so that you know, here's all the presents, two giant football uniforms. And the next next shot is like we're in them. And I'm like laying on the ground, like I have a giant rock on me. My brother's excited, loves his football uniform. I'm laying there like, please get this off of me now. Like I can't stand having this on me. And I didn't even realize that till I sort of went back and looked at those home I mean, I was just watching, you know, Reminiscing, and also I'm like, oh my gosh, there's sort of the seeds of all of this happening, or at least a a big point of uh, like, wow, this is so obvious, you know. So I was started to really struggle with my gender at about five, six, seven years old, and we're going to kind of unpack that. Um, my dad knew I loved my football uniform so great that the next year I got a, a popcorn popper. Yeah, so this is when I said I started getting small household appliances for <laughs> Christmas. But I was really grateful, like my dad didn't sort of force me into those things, you know. They started working, like I said, I was more artistic, sort of little kid. Um, So let's kind of unpack some definitions. So gender dysphoria, which used to be called gender identity disorder, but we can start seeing that we're moving more and more away from the idea of this being a disorder. Um, and I think this this definition is so interesting so this is from the American Psychological Association it says a concept and I put a big old question mark there a concept this is in the DSM-5 this is a diagnosis actually but even that word is sort of moving away from something diagnosable so a concept designated in the DSM-5 is clinically significant distress or impairment related to a strong desire to be of another gender, which may include desire to change primary and or secondary sex characteristics. And not all transgender or gender diverse people experience dysphoria. So there are some that don't experience any, but that, that incongruence of how I feel, like I'm in the wrong body, and that distress is what we're talking about dysphoria. And sometimes that distress will increase and increase to the point where maybe there needs to be some sort of intervention happening, and we're going to talk about that. So, um, and then transgender is just an umbrella term describing individuals whose gender identity does not align in a traditional sense with the gender they were assigned at birth. It may also be used to refer to a person's whose gender identity is binary, basically male, female, and not traditionally associated with that uh, designated designed at birth that's really interesting that's why my little genderbred person is not really very PC anymore because they're not really calling it sex anymore they're calling sex assigned at birth so this is something that this was assigned to me uh, or something that was put on me as opposed to biological reality I would say personally so um, And then trans is just, you might see this with a little asterisk, it just means sort of a broader term that would sort of include um, beyond transgender describe people whose gender identity or expression vary from their birth sex and or from cultural expectations. So that's why I said we have all these gender expansive identities. So those are just a few definitions. Um, As far as symptoms for, uh, this would be early onset, which means children. So these are some of the symptoms of gender dysphoria. And it says the DSM-5 defines gender dysphoria in children as a marked incongruence between one's experienced, expressed gender and then assigned gender, biology, basically, Um, lasting at least six months. So that distress needs to be lasting about six months and needs to include about six of these characteristics, especially the first one, which is A strong desire to be or insistence that one is the other gender. So you have this small child insisting that I'm not the gender that uh, biology. They might be a strong preference for cross-dressing as the other gender. A strong preference for cross-gender roles in make-believe or fantasy play. I was Ginger Grant every time we played Gilligan's Island. (laughs) Because Ginger always got what she wanted. Super popular in the neighborhood, too. A strong preference for the toys, games, or activities stereotypically used or engaged by the other gender. A strong preference for playmates of the other gender. And in boys, the strong rejection of typically masculine toys, games, activities, and strong avoidance of rough and tumble play. In girls, a strong rejection of typically feminine toys, (coughs) games, and um, activities. So that whole football thing, totally this. I'm having some sort of triggering experience just by wearing that uh, outfit. Um, Once we start getting into more adolescence and adults, and your body is changing into something that you don't want it to be, and you're getting more and more horrified because your biology is taking over, um, so they still have the six months of, of sort of distress. But they only are talking about sort of maybe two of these as opposed to six. So um, so once again, a marked incongruence between their expressed uh, gender, but a strong desire to get rid of one's primary or secondary characteristics. Like, I don't want this. I don't want this to happen. Um, a strong desire to be the other gender. A strong de- desire to be treated as the other gender. Um, and that's from the. Um, American Psychiatric Association. There have been a lot of testing done, percentage-wise, that if you just let a little kid who's experiencing this dysphoria, male or female, if you just kind of let them alone and let them sort of grow, about 60 to 88% will just naturally grow into their biological gender. We have a culture right now that is really not helping with that. <laughs> Every institution that we have, psychological, academic, and uh, medical, we're in sort of this track where, oh, I mean, you experience this. We need to transition you as quickly as possible, which I find rather alarming and not great. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But it's sort of interfering with maybe someone's natural way of dealing with gender. If I was growing up right now they might have possibly transitioned, be transitioning me um, and I don't think that would have been a really helpful for, thing for me personally. So just as far as my own experience you know when you think about those pieces of biology, gender identity how I was expressing my gender those eight things for the little kids like I had all of them right so, you know, biologically, like I said, I was I was very sort of physically small boy. And that influenced how I felt about being a boy cuz here's all these other boys that are like sort of big and huge around me, right? All these things I couldn't control. These were things that I can't control. I had a slight stature, I was emotionally sensitive. I had a really great degree for some reason. I was very modest about my body at a really, like way too early, like four, five, six. You know how your dads would walk around in their underwear and you're just like, oh my God, I hope my friends don't come over. Like I would never do that. I was always sort of covered up, you know. Um, Just felt really uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, I was artistic, I said I wasn't rough and tumble. As far as gender identity, it's like I always wished I was a girl, I wanted to be a girl. Uh, I started developing sort of this contempt for men or for male things um, that was not good or healthy. And the way I was expressing was I was really over-identifying with girls. Um, Like I said, I played the girls' parts when we were playing. I was like the mom or Ginger. Oh, our neighbor babysitter had this big box of clothes for dress up for the girls, but who do you think was wearing all of these all the time? And I got really, my parents found out, and I just got really destroyed and shamed for that. Um, I was mistaken for a girl a lot of times. You know, in, in the 70s, you know how everyone had that sort of like Ringo Starr bowl cut kind of thing going on? And the highest-pitched scream in the neighborhood. So people just thought, is this your daughter? And I would feel my parents' embarrassment. I would feel that shame. I could feel it like, oh my god, my parents are embarrassed of me. Um, Something's wrong with me. Like, I'm not okay." Um, Drawn to, to girls' toys and games, I was kind of like this little mixture like sure, I wanted an easy bake oven and an awesome Barbie with a three-story home, which is awesome, which I just got to play with at my cousin's house because I have a little brother. <laughs> but I also was sort of your Hot Wheels kids. I like dinosaurs. So I had a little bit of a mixture of both of those things. Um, and disidentification with my own gender. I always say this is like, you know how like growing up, you're like, I get my gender. Like I get boys or I get girls, but that other gender, they just seem really weird and mysterious and I don't get them. Well, for me, it was more like I get these girls who I'm hanging out with more and I don't get guys. Like they're up on the soccer field and they're spitting and I'm like, why are they always spitting all the time? Do I have to do that? Do I have to spit? I don't know, you know? So the boys were very mysterious. And then I, like I said, I just felt different and detached from boy things and symbols of clothing. As I grew up, things, those symbols took on. And I, I find this a lot with um, with women that are sort of dealing with that same thing. Like suddenly, those clothes mean something. Like a suit, I will never wear a suit because that means something really awful about men, something negative that I don't want. That football uniform, I will never. So I started associating things, like making symbols of things that didn't really need to be symbols. Does that make sense? So most of the messages I received as far as you're being a boy is a lot of failure. You're like failing miserably at being a boy. A lot of competition because my brother was sort of a regular kid, and my parents knew how to engage his life, and they just didn't know what to do with me. So I felt really, like, alone and on my own quite a bit. Um, a lot of shame, a lot of bullying, a lot of labeling, all through elementary school. So who's under the trans umbrella? Which is a, the biggest controversial question in the world. Because nobody can, like, really decide. <laughs> um, but these are just a few. So gender dysphoric trans people may or may not identify as trans. So those are the people that we've been talking about that are experiencing this distress between, uh, and they are okay with that term. Some people say, I'm so glad to have some words to put how I'm feeling to this distress. And then once again, you have sort of non-gender dysphoric trans, those trans-identified people who have never experienced dysphoria. And some might not even like that term because it sort of um, links it to a disorder or some sort of pathology or something. So you have those people. Um, there's a, a phenom- phenomenon happening over the last several years. And it's a term called rapid onset gender dysphoria. Uh, so before I read that uh, definition, I'll just say, in 2009, in this gender clinic in London, they were treating 51 uh, People, 34 males, 17 females, who were gender dysphoric or trans identified. 51. By 2019 that jumped up to 2,364 um, that were identifying and that and then we see a shift from male to female so you have 624 males And then you have 1,740 females. This is a 5,000% increase. And if you're wondering just suddenly, and maybe you know some families or people that suddenly, that's why it's called rapid onset. Suddenly, like let's say a young adolescent woman just comes and says one day, I'm trans, just out of the blue, and even never thought I've never experienced you as having any sort of gender issues or wanting to be a boy, or um, but suddenly you're identifying as trans. Um, and so the, the this was a study by Lisa Littman from Brown University. It was peer reviewed. Some of it was positive. Some of it was not was sort of negative. Uh, some people would call this a social contagion. Others think. That's a little harsh and sort of I don't maybe I don't want to use that term because it's kind of combative, perhaps. But basically a term coined by Lisa Littman of Brown University, peer-reviewed study of adolescents, mostly female, who suddenly announced to parents they are trans influenced and the influences are they're influenced by peers. A lot of other peers are suddenly identifying as trans. They are on social websites that are sort of like talking about trans ideology and how awesome it is. Um, there's a lot of sort of mental health things that are going on with these young people. Um, and I'm not saying that negatively, but they've noticed that that has been a sort of a common theme. Um, and so these young women will, or men, will somehow get a hold, start transitioning. And they'll start getting a hold of cross uh, Hormones, cross-sex hormones, some, and that we're going to sort of talk about all of that. But um, or they might start pursuing uh, surgical, like I'm going to have a mastectomy and have my breasts removed. So this is a phenomenon that's been happening, and there is a um, there's a woman. I've highlighted a podcast from Preston on his theology in the raw where he's interviewing this young woman who did exactly the same thing. Now she's in her 20s. And luckily, she, because there's a lot of uh, reversible and irreversible things. Cross-sex hormones is sort of semi-reversible, but it can really wreck. Like for a young woman, your voice is gone. You'll never have your same voice again. Uh, You might always be having hair growing in places that you don't necessarily want. So she's sharing her story about suddenly I'm in my 20s and I'm like, I am not trans, I believe this trans ideology and I've wrecked parts, I mean, parts of my physicality because of that. So there's these trans de- detransitioners as a growing group of uh, people under this trans umbrella. And they started this peak resilience project which is just people, mostly like these young women, sharing their stories of how they believe this ideology and what happened to them. So those are people that are under the trans umbrella. Um, for those, so those who may or may not be under the umbrella. So you have people that cross dress for a variety of reasons. There are men that cross dress, and it has become kind of an arousal thing, um, and that's the term autogen, I can't even say it, autogenophilic. Um That's but cross dressers. I was trying to find out if that was um, that was sort of the term that we used to use. I didn't. I, did a, I researched a lot, and I was trying to find out if that's, a, if that's not a good word to use anymore. I really couldn't find out if, if that's an offensive term these days. But cross-dressers are what we used to kind of call them. So it describes an experience where a biological male who is erotically aroused by the thought of himself as a female who typically have stereotypically masculine uh, interests and are sexually attracted to women so that's a really interesting thing, and I was working with. Um, well, the, our rescue mission in Denver called and said we're looking for someone to uh, be a mentor to this trans person. Would you would you uh, work with them as they're coming off of the street? And because um, they thought, well, we just don't want to give this to like anybody just in the church. Cause th-. so I think this was sort of the person that I was working with because you know. I felt really awful. He was this, you know, six feet tall, hands this big, deep voice, very masculine looking, and he's transitioning to a woman. And I walked through some of his transition. He wasn't a Christian, so I was just trying to get to know him and um, had got some, some, some good conversation about why he was wounded by Christians. But it was just interesting watching him transition and does, not passing as a woman. Um, you know, ordering giant heels that are huge. It was just really sad because he talked about how awful he was treated. People wouldn't sit next to him on the bus. He was kind of treated like a contagion in some ways. But I think he was kind of in that category of people. Um, and And I don't want to just sort of give that impression of arousal because you can sort of see how the developmentally... Say you have a young boy and he's really anxious and he's separated from his mom and maybe grabbing a piece of clothing to make himself feel better. And then suddenly that sort of develops in like I'm putting on the clothing. And you can sort of see how that can sort of progress into something like that. Uh, this is very controversial because there are people that are like, I'm, he would consider himself under the trans umbrella. And there would be trans people that would say, no, you're not really under the trans umbrella. So that's very controversial. Um, You also have people that cross-dress for entertainment like drag queens. I don't think they would say they're under. I have some drag queen friends. I have a lot of interesting friends. I don't think they would say they're under the trans umbrella. They might identify as gender fluid or some other, one of those other identities. Um, And then you have intersex people. So this is all about biology, whereas transgender is more about identity. This is about biology. So you have more than 16 different conditions are classified as intersex which is also called differences of sex development or disorders of sex development. These conditions include atypical features in a person's sex chromosomes, reproductive organs, or anatomical sex, or two of the three, or all three. It's estimated that 99% of people who have intersex condition are unambiguously male or female. I thought that was so fascinating because um, People say, is this a third gender? Is this another gender? And really, most of the people that have an intersex condition present as mostly male or female. It's unambiguous. There is this 1%, and I listened to a panel, I think, of this 1% of people where they were all up there and you could just tell that something was kind of off. And I just it was really helpful for me to hear them just share their experience of being Christians. Like, I don't know if I should go to the men's retreat or the women's Bible study. I don't know what bathroom to use. I just hold, hold it till I get home. So really painful. Um, and that's just like that sort of 1% of people. You have that sort of gender queer category, which I don't, maybe, maybe not under this umbrella. But all these gender expansive identities, gender fluid, pan pangender, agender, non-binary, um, and that's either I'm I've sort of experiencing my gender as kind of both. I kind of flow back and forth or I just don't experience any gender. I'm sort of outside of that. Um, And then cisgender is just mostly not under the trans umbrella because that's, if this is in alignment with this then you're not trans. You're cisgender. So you're not necessarily under the trans umbrella. Um, When it talks about Controversies of care. This is where we start getting into some of those controversies. And where does sort of your bio, I mean, where's the weight of your identity, right? So um, when talking little kids, should I do something to decrease that cross gender behavior? Like, say, I'm playing with an easy bake oven. Would it be helpful if my dad tried to get me to do something that was like baseball or something? This is really kind of controversy in our current culture because this can kind of look like you're trying to do some conversion with this little kid's gender. He's trying to express his gender identity, and you are going against that. Um, But for me, I always liked Charlie Brown and Snoopy. So for some weird reason, I was wearing a baseball hat and carrying a mitt around. Once again, like, who am I, right? And we're talking like, you know, second, third grade. And I remember my dad sort of taking me out in the back and he was kind of showing me different, here's how to do a fastball. And there was something that was really sort of helpful about that for me. I don't know if that would necessarily be for every little kid, but, um, but this is a controversial one because of sort of the progressive culture that we live in right now. Um, or watchful waiting. I'm just not going to do, I'm not going to encourage any, either side. I'm just gonna watch this little kid and sort of wait and sort of see where they're going with that. Um, and then there's the reversible social transition. Um, if someone, if there's a little kid or an adolescent that is that distress is happening, I always, if you feel like you really need to do something, let's do reversible things. Name, throw down, hair, clothes. Those are all reversible things. Um, some people say, like, to not even encourage that because it sort of gets on that slippery slope of then we're just on the more controversial things. Which um, and there's a, a great podcast that I included where some people think it's like really good to use pronouns, especially when we're talking about little kids or adolescents. And this woman is from the UK, works with autistic children and sex, and says, I don't think it's always okay to, maybe it's not the best thing to use pronouns. It's just a really interesting, uh, another take on that whole debate. So irreversible thing, puberty blockers. That means we're going to stop puberty, and now you have some people who are in their 20s who have never gone through puberty. And these are really controversial because we don't know enough about bone development and other side effects. Um, and then you start having cross-sex hormones, like I'm going to introduce estrogen to a boy or a young man's life, or testosterone to a, a young woman's life. Um, and then sex, does so you have the really irreversible of uh, I'm cutting, I'm starting to change my body. And that sort of personally, I've had a lot of friends who have transitioned from female to male, and who have had mastectomies, and there's something really kind of heartbreaking to me about that. Um, not that I'm not supportive of my friends, but there's something about when you start, because then... I just think that God has created us, and our bodies are way really more important than we give but a lot of creativity. We just don't think about our physicality very really. much, even as Christians. We don't really. See that God has um, His image is created even in that physicality. Right? Question. Uh-huh. You ask,
1: um, this relates to what you shared. Uh, to what? You said you want to. You have many friends who, or, or a number of friends who, struggle with this. And the, uh, the the man that you were mentoring. To where do you see? Um, You want to support them and you want to be there for them and be their friend, Um, when they are going through what appears to be incredibly self-destructive, you know, a self-destructive path, do you you find that there is a place for you to plead with them? not to do these things that appear to harm them more for the rest of their lives. Right,
0: that's an awesome question. It's basically like when, how do you sort of balance a truth and grace perspective with somebody if they are moving into more semi-irreversible or reversible things? Um, You know, that's such an individual thing because are we talking about a kid? Are we talking about an adult? Those are very different stories. Um, like the, I can just say for that person that I was working with, I didn't even really know him. He wasn't a Christian. Um, he had been really wounded by the church. So I was just, I was using his pronouns and his preferred name because I just was trying to build a relationship with her. Um, and I just really didn't feel like I had enough trust to engage that kind of conversation, but if we're talking about this is your kid, this is your adolescent, this is your family member, this is your little kid, you know, um, I just think there's a lot of more ways to sort of speak into that because you have it depends on sort of the relationship you have with that person, right? I, I watch parents and it's really sort of heartbreaking because even going through a name change that's reversible it's heartbreaking for them. Like We chose that name for you, and it has very specific significance to us, and the fact that you're changing that is sort of heartbreaking as parents, you know, watching, or I just, I raised this little girl, and now what's happening, you know, so that's a whole different level of stuff. It's just a really very complicated, I think that's a great question, but it's, it's really a lot by case by case. How much do I know that person? Is this a Christian? And we are meeting on sort of a similar trajectory of thought of worldview. Um, you could still sort of plead with somebody and see where that goes, um, or have that conversation. Like I would engage that more in a different way. Like talk to me about why that's important, why taking these steps, and especially steps like that, why is that important to you? I want to understand that. That's a different way than, you know, or not even that. It's just a way to engage that story in a way that maybe opens that dialogue a little bit. And I do that with everything. Tell me about that idea Why that's important. Share with me about. If you have an affirming theology, I want to hear that story about how you landed there. I just think there's ways to engage that conversation that opens the dialogue up instead of shutting it down and offers more trust. Like, I really do care about you. I really want to know you in a way that um, I just, I'm just not just kind of spouting what's right or wrong. I want to engage you in your life where you are, and I want to understand that, and I hope that that will open doors for us to talk more. Is that, is that helpful? i saw a hand back up okay um that's we get that question a lot and i think that's a really that's why we're sort of here talking about um and it's just such a complex thing because it really has to do with level of relationship trust that's been built who is this person are we talking a child an adolescent an adult Um, i'd be way more protective of little kids and adolescents of course but I don't think when this prefrontal cortex hasn't even developed yet, yeah, mine's not even developed yet. Part <laughs> of this dysphoria this might have to do with our uh, conception, Because you mentioned the boys watching uh, those big, big things. I wish somebody had taught me how to do it when I was little. Mm-hmm. I had to learn it on my own. Now my wife
2: loves. Uh, my cooking <coughs> she can't cook what I can cook but I have a because more taught me how to bake so when somebody when a little boy wants to cook just tell them that he's going to be a chef in the future he's going to be the worker yeah I think
0: we have more space for that you just watch every the Food Network show so. yeah, no. yeah. oh Samurai's it, it? I would say what's probably really great now is you can get we can be a little out a little more out of our gender stereotypes. Where like a young boy to cook is seen maybe back then it was sort of like when really most of the great chefs were men traditionally. Then we have Julia you know showing up in the '60s, but um, but now you just sort of see a little bit more. It's okay to kind of do all sorts of things that maybe. 20, 30 years ago, weren't, which I totally agree with, yeah. Like the example of a young boy wanting to be a chef and encouraging that, rather than thinking something's bad, something's wrong. Yeah. Um, there's a couple great podcasts if you're wanting to know about puberty blockers and hormones. I just think there's not a lot of stuff that's great about puberty blockers. There's an endocrinologist talking about that. Sort of the effects on uh, physicality. Um, here's just sort of the pastoral care piece, real quickly. Um, so there's a, an organization called Q Ideas, Game Lyon. They kind of do these TED Talks for Christians, Q Ideas. Um, really great. They're just covering all sorts of things across the board. But uh, Preston had a conversation. And Q Ideas uses five lenses to look at any issue that we're sort of dealing with right now. Our theology, which is sort of whether we believe is true. Um, Our pastoral care, how are we caring for people? Those are very important. Our relationships with people, the people that we engage with every day, whether it's an acquaintance, whether it's a Starbucks person, whether it's a family member. And then we sort of have the political arena, and then we kind of have the public square, what's happening in social media. I think these get all really tangled up, and I think it's really easy as Christians, and traditionally Christians over decades, have been really combative. They've sort of taken that um, political arena, and then use it to just be super combative against this particular community, maybe other communities. I mean, we all do that as just people in general. So as I was to sort of pull those apart and really think, okay, I want to walk in what's true Lord. I want to engage that truth in a way that is pastorally caring for somebody. I want to build relationships with people. Like I was just talking about the, the guys that I got through my season yet, so what do I do sort of with that public arena and sort of that public square and social media? Because I think it's probably fine to, um, you know, we have some, uh, as of this date there have been 80 pieces of legislation related to transgender issues in state legislations across the U.S. right now. So I think there's a lot of dangerous legislation that's happening, and there's, these are the ones that about. Uh, There's a choice in transitioning a child or an adolescent. These are things. There's also something about the equality act, because there's a lot of questions. Uh, There's a gentleman named Caleb Kaltenbach who wrote a book called Miss Grace. He grew up with a gay gay mom and a gay dad. They split, and so here he is going to gay pride parades and being spit on and urinated on by Christians. Years later, he becomes a Christian, much to his parents' chagrin, and not only that, but a pastor. So it's a really interesting story. He wrote a 131-page paper on the Equality Care Act that's currently sort of uh, in legislation right now. There's also a, a really great Dennis Hollinger from Gordon Conwell did a really great talk that talks a little bit about because I like I said I. It's not that we don't want to be involved politically, but how do we do that in a way? We can push back on some of that. And we'll hold that thought one second. But so theology, how do I help a family and family member navigate their personal space in my church if this is happening in their family? A lot of times some families will just leave and go to an affirming church because they feel more safe there. And the bigger theological truth that I think many LGBTQ people hear is that God loves them. Period. Wants to know them. Period. Without you doing, you don't have to become some amazing super person because nobody else does to get in the church. You show up like a big mess. But they don't hear that God loves them. They already know our theology. They've had that man down their throats. Pastoral care, how do I support that family? And in it for the long haul, is this is going to maybe be something that goes on for a long time. These are not easy to things. How do I help keep the family relationship make in order? You know, are the parents on the same page? What's this doing with extended family? You know, a lot of parents feel a lot of blame and a lot of guilt for having for a child and, and how they handle that and how they have direction with that. Um, and we really need to find some good mental health for them that isn't in transition. And, and like an example story was, there was a, a little boy that wanted to be a girl was insisting that he wanted to be a girl. So the parents were trying to figure out how to handle this and they were just kind of doing this, they were talking, they were having, talking with some professionals Months and months and months later they find out that uh, the family had just had a special needs little girl. And the only way he thought he was gonna get attention is if he was a girl. So this had nothing to do with gender dysphoria. And here he could have started transitioning when he wasn't, right? So we need to find really good mental health. And then just, how can we just help this family and put the of kindness that they believe? Like I said, a lot of times, there's just so many relational dynamics that can happen. Question? I know that from a theological perspective, it's very helpful that speaking with someone who disagrees with the point of view, that kind uh, of have a starting point of anthropology. You know, our understanding of what is a human and what isn't a human, and therefore what is. Yeah, I think there are. Um, I think there's a growing of uh, those voices that aren't even necessarily even coming from a Christian perspective, but coming from uh, medical... I think that there... Um, oh, I do think that there is a growing voice of that. Um, I think... I'm trying to think where I've heard some of those. Did you guys know... You. Uh, in his name Paul he was the surgeon
1: who was in charge of John's You know, of transitional surgeries, and he left that altogether because he saw the devastation that it caused. And he's written um, a number of things out there. What's but the question? It's U F C U G H, I think. Um, things and he's written other
0: things that, that, that are helpful but he has been uh, yeah. yeah all in the if you work with you and i think you know like i would see things on like heritage foundation that would be highlighting um doctors and um, you know all sorts of people so i do think as that push is getting more push. I think there is a growing from the medical community because they are seeing a lot of the devastation. So I, I really do think that that's. How, it'll be really interesting to see how that sort of continues to play out. Um, and I think that that's, I know we've just got about, um, just a, about ten minutes. But I just wanted to see, if, if any of you guys are personally kind of dealing with some of these issues in your church, what would be helpful for this group of people to maybe hear how you're of doing that? So say you have a six-year-old or an adolescent or an adult who's in the beginning stages of transitioning to the opposite gender and is starting to request the use of a new name and pronouns. So some of the things you might consider are, are the family members, are the parents and family on the same page. Sometimes you might have a mother and father that really big odds about how to handle a situation like that, and that is gonna cause some real upheaval in the family. Um, Are parents aware of the controversy of possible transition solutions? Um, Just have a conversation, like have you researched, rather than just thinking, oh, this is kind of the one-size-fit-all, which we don't do with any other things in our culture. It's not a one-size-fit-all solution, except we're starting to have it in this this type of arena. are aware of the research of puberty blockers, of cross-sex hormones, just to make sure that they have that information. Um, as far as the church, what kind of planning and preparation is needed? You know, elders, leaders, I would really encourage your elder boards to just run some of these scenarios, like how would we handle the situation so that we're not just sort of blindsided when it comes up. Uh, Let's talk about that, let's run that, figure out sort of what our plan would be. Um, Training for youth leaders, since like I said, that Gen Z, this upcoming generation is going to be dealing with more of that. Um, They're probably the ones that are really on the front line and already know more than all of us sitting in the room, actually. And communication to the church, who knows this and when and how do we communicate that? what can be accommodated and not accommodated? We need to kind of think through, like, pronouns, names, bathrooms, Sunday school, retreats. Preston has some really practical things to his book and body as far as pronouns and retreats, I think. Um, some of those things. Um, but I remember a church was, we worked with uh, a Presbyterian and talked with their leaders. They had a, young woman in their church that had grown up in the church and was transitioning and wanted a male name and male pronouns. Of course, you're not going to have had, like, an adolescent girl in a men's bathroom. That's not wise in a hashtag MeToo culture. Um, But what they decided was, like, well, we don't know about the pronouns, but she had a name that was more like a nickname, and people thought, oh, I can use that nickname. That sounds fine. They were able to kind of work some some ways out to work with that. Um, how do you accommodate this family or this person without sacrificing the needs of everyone else? Like if I'm a little boy, what are the other parents who have little kids? Maybe I'm not ready for my child to really know to be to have that yet. So how do I sort of work with this in a way that is sort of a, about as land win as you can get, I guess, right? Um, rather than just this, these are making demands, and how do we, you know, how can we sort of work with that? So, does anyone have any helpful stuff like we are navigating that in our church currently? I'm going to give you this microphone. And I think I just Special. knocked mine off. Thanks.
1: <laughs> Thanks for the presentation. Sir. Yeah. I live in New York and the city, and so my microphone lot of homosexuals, all these spectrums in our, uh, you know, in our life, but I have five friends that all are uh, different, kind of they don't have a gay background, lesbian background, but what I was super so encouraged in all their stories, it was just a whole irresistible mean, grace. the Holy Spirit just got a lives at some point, and it was irresistible, my friend Micah, and his lover, 10 years, they lived with each other, and one day the whole like I can't we can't do this anymore. we grew up, we know this is wrong. We just can't live like this. No one said anything to me. You know, I was a guy who I did the right thing, the right theory, the right words, the right literally, literally just the Holy Spirit. And it took years that like, the in and Now they're just best friends. And they're like, you know, I know what that was. I'm probably always gonna be same sex so attractive. But I love Jesus more, and that's enough for me. And my friend Tony, same story, we were best friends. He was gay his whole life, um, parted ways, he fell back in the gay lifestyle for 12 years. And literally one day in his living room, the Holy Spirit just him. He wept for two hours. And he's been walking strong. He's a member of Redeemer downtown for six years now. Then I met a former lesbian in England. And I was just curious, okay, like, hey, I see this congruity with friends of mine. It's just the Holy Spirit that's holding him. And I was just curious, very and that's very much. I was just, like, just curious, is that, is that Your story, she's like, oh, totally. She's like, my lover and I, 20, like, 15 years, I can't remember how long we were together, but we were always at Pride Week, like, we were going to the spiritual tent, always, because I didn't realize that God was just after me. And one day, we were in bed together, and I was just laying there next to her, trying to build the courage to ask her this question. It took me two hours, and I just looked at her, and I said, do you think what we're doing is wrong, and do you think there's a God who cares about what we do? And then her lover's like, I've been wanting to say that to you for two years, too. So now... Patty does is out of Egypt ministry on how, how do you minister effectively, she's in New Jersey, uh, to people who are in a lifestyle, and then her partner is a missionary, you know, so I just think, I was. I'm hope, I hope have a lot of hope, I feel like the Holy Spirit is such an asset, just praying for people, and being kind and loving, and, and, and I think I love what you said, it's a long haul thing, it's not take two songs to call me in the morning and be un-gay or anything like that, I think mean, this is... It's is years and years and years, but, right. but never forget, the Holy Spirit can do anything to anyone regardless of what your background is. Okay. Yeah, thank
0: you. What's your name? Michael. Michael, thank you. You know, uh, he brought up a concept that we use quite a bit. Because um, the men and women that come to our ministry in Denver um, are usually conflicted. I'm really conflicted about my attraction or my gender identity issues and my faith. Um, And so we just sort of offer this space for them, for all of us. I mean, when I came, I had same-sex attraction, I had gender issues, you know, and I just needed a space. I had embraced it. I was living in the LGBTQ community for a while and had this reconversion experience. And um, I just needed a space to sort of figure out how to resolve this personally for me, right? And the ways that people resolve it is either they Adopt an affirming theology, like I'm just going to change my theology. I have friends that have done that. I totally get why. If you're living conflicted every minute of every day between your faith and your sexuality, I have people that have left the church. I'm out, too hurt, or I become a Buddhist or Unitarian. I change my faith or leave my faith. That's another way to resolve that conflict. Or you have sort of like and that's sort of where I've landed is I'm just going to walk out my convictions, what I believe what I believe marriage to be, between a, a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. I believe that that's that God had a purpose, design, intent, and I'm going to and um, I have friends that have gotten married to someone of the opposite gender, because um, they have the capacity to do that. They might be in that more bisexual camp, I guess. Um, Or I'm just going to live as a single celibate person, perhaps like Jesus, the most famous, right? (laughs) Or Paul. There's a way to thrive. There's a whole bunch of people that are figuring out how to make that. I mean, and we're talking like national conferences sort of for all of these things. And there's like a, a growing number of young men and women that are like, I just am really wanting to follow my conviction as far as my sexuality, which I find rather surprising in our current culture. And then, there, of course, there's the uh, affirming theology conferences, and I've been to those. Just to, I want to hear how people are talking about faith and sexuality. But the big thing about that is, is this person in conflict? And if they're not in conflict, it's not my job to put them in conflict. So if they're conflicted, wow, great. Right, let's talk about resource. Let's, let's figure this out together. And if they're not conflicted, whose job is that? Thank you. right and you just shared all those stories where the Holy Spirit was doing just fine and I didn't have to say my amazing sentence that would change their minds in five seconds right so that's I just think that's a really good rule to sort of think about like oh are you conflicted And especially like we do a lot of trainings for um, youth ministries and um, you know like sort of like the Christian equivalent of big brother big sister where they set an adolescent up with, a mentor, and that's always our big thing is if you're working with an LGBTQ youth, are they conflicted about that? And if so, great, let's help them figure this out. And if they're not, then okay, it's not my place to, it's not that I can't engage questions like we were talking about, like I would really like to understand why that's important to you or why that uh, letter, what does that letter mean to you? personally, you know, there's ways to kind of engage that, so. Question?
3: Can I just give a quick word? Uh-huh. Uh, I really appreciate Scott's presentation, everybody being here. We, we've been dealing with this in our own home, and so it's been really powerful to be here. Um, I, I, I just wanted, for, for, for parents of, of children and teenagers, one thing that he hit on, but, but could talk about more would be me, social media and the internet. And I really want to encourage you that if you have children, teenagers, whatever limits you've set on their use of social media, consider making it more restrictive, even than you have, because it's poisonous. It's, um, for these kids, they, they can't handle it at, at 12, 13, 14, 15. Their minds are not equipped to withstand the propaganda. Um, for them, it's like a shot of heroin. I've seen it firsthand. In terms of just empowering them to embrace a different identity, so whatever your restrictions, like you're your home, social media, whatever you've done, your kids do more, make it higher, because they're they're getting they're getting hammered. Um, so thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Is that Kirk? Eric. Yeah. Oh, Eric. Sorry. Yeah. My size. Yeah. Question? Yeah.
4: My daughter was in a lesbian uh, relationship. Um, I don't even know how many. And uh, and she, I, I interceded in prayer and did not freak out about it. When both my husband and I were concerned, her twin sister was very concerned. Um, then we found out kind of after she had just kind of transitioned out of that, she, she was thinking that she had been um, sexually uh, molested when she was a child. And there is a, a very high correlation between sexual molestation and these gender identity problems. And I can't tell you how, how I want to affirm what you said about the need for, for churches to understand the combination of presenting the gospel and supporting people with mental health. Because that mental health key is something that, that every county, every state, and our federal government gets rid of in their budget. One of the first things they do is get rid of mental health and especially Christian counseling with a counselor who really understands these these connections can make a huge difference. She's out of that now and is healthier. And we found out she's also bipolar. And that could have been discovered and we could have helped her sooner if we had been aware of that. I, I knew even as she entered puberty, something was not quite right. And she was extremely emotional and lots of depression. And We tried to take her to a counselor and she refused to go. And sometimes you can't do anything as a parent. You just have to get on your knees and say, Lord, no matter what, this child is yours. You will intercede. You will take care of this. And and he has in my daughter's case, Um, And I also, um, well, I guess just helping people to understand there's a continuum that's completely normal for a woman to express her womanhood and for a man to express his manliness, just as if, you know, you said you, you prefer to... with different things and if we just stop trying to make them into some kind of image of our own as parents just let them be themselves i think that's that's a big key
0: thanks so much for that i was just thinking about sort of the bell curve you know and then most male and female sort of experience this but you're still in the bell curve i might be down here but still in the curve right question back there (laughs)
2: Fine. That's okay. Um, that sometimes, like she was saying, uh, gender identity. Someone can be, you know,
5: a male and express their, their masculinity differently. Um, and and you see that cross culturally a lot. My husband um, grew up in Asia, and when he came to Texas, uh, he was used to being super touchy with, with guys and girls and just like just being touchy, and and that was seen as gay in his community in Texas. And so, if he hadn't been so grounded in knowing, like, I really like girls, I'm really sure of that, and like also some theology, there was some crap there, I think, for him to um, encounter that well, and God protected it, but um, he was also mostly, the most one of the most welcoming communities when he came over was um, the Stoners and the LGBTQ community. So, um, I just want to encourage you guys, as the church, you might not know anyone that's LGBTQ right now, or you might hear this you do, but um, as we work on being a church and being a community that is welcoming to people um, that are different and we don't know where to put them uh, in a box, um, that we can be a community that is more accepting, the the LGBTQ community, more accepting than the stoners and everyone, and we can be a place for them to come instead of feeling like, oh, I don't fit in, okay, so I I guess I have to go to this place because I feel safe there. Um, and also just be aware of that cross-cultural piece, and there might be other things that play into um, how someone expresses their masculinity or femininity. And they're going to hear things from their friends, like, oh, you like dancing? You're a boy. You can't like dancing. Um, and so then they, I have a friend that was definitely not gay in junior high school. He had a crush on me. Um, mm-hmm. and then, But by the time he was in high school, because he loved dance and art and stuff, um, he had been kind sort of convinced by everyone around him, well, you like this stuff, so he must be gay. Um, and so I just want really to encourage you guys uh, to have that mindset of like, my child can't be you know, straight or what have you, or even if they struggle, struggle with a gender story. But um, some of these kids are they're hearing everything um, from people around them, so to affirm them in uh, who they are in Christ and read the image of God, male and female.
0: Yeah. And once again, sort of unhelpful stereotypes mm-hmm. and how that sort of boxes people. Another thing I want to say that I think you really hit on too is. Um, The US is probably one of the most touch-deprived countries in the world because of those things. And I was in Italy. And I mean, everyone's just all over each other. And I'm like, and it was startling. And I was like, wait a minute. This is nothing gay. It's the fact that they're just showing affection. And the fact that that affection has been sexualized in our culture is so awful and so damaging that any type of intimacy is seen as something sexual, awful right so that's why we're one of the most touch-deprived countries ever um, which I think increases the fact that we and the sexualization is why pornography is rampant we look for those false ways of intimacy so anyway yeah so you just really hit on some really important things I think yeah
4: Two um, resources. I was thinking about Christopher Ewan and Rosaria Butterfield. I think they're great. Uh, their stories. I appreciate. because Some people have a radical, you know, come to Christ, the Holy Spirit, they change. But I appreciated their journey too because of struggling well. And 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 uh, you know, I think hearing Christopher Ewan, I, you can tell that. You know, it's just one of the best talks I've ever heard on mm-hmm. sexuality, but it's some from his own journey. It's just really powerful,
5: just his future.
0: Yeah, today. thank you for that. Like, so I know Christopher Yuan, and he was, a, he was here several years ago, and I was like teaching my little workshop, and I'm like, you heard like the most amazing dramatic story ever, and this is not that. <laughs> mine's, mine's the boring LGBTQ story. <laughs> yeah. But it's a great story, and Rosario's too, I love her story. Butterfield. Butterfield. I want to make sure too if you, if you guys all need to leave, but I'm glad to stay. But I don't want to keep anybody.
2: I just have a question about you know. Um, I guess
0: cancel so much. cancel culture. To, you guys Where are you here. Are senior with
2: somebody they feel not uh, affirmed by you, or they feel um, they feel as if they can't. Uh, stay where they are. If you've said one thing that you disagree with, they, are, they don't feel loved by you. And so how, how would you recommend that we go through, like uh, we had a transgender person in our uh, come to our congregation, which was incredibly brave and they came and they were with us, but one person mentioned that they just disagreed and, and they came to us and said, well you know what they said to me they said to me that we they disagreed and we said you know you should feel loved that somebody might disagree with you how, how do you deal with the fact that uh, you can't disagree it feels like you're not being loving if you disagree mm-hmm. we're at that point
0: that's a good question um, well it's interesting I have obviously having been I've been doing this ministry for almost 30 years and uh so of course all the friends i have they've all we all sort of started in the same place of being conflicted and everyone's landed all over that spectrum and some are getting married to same gender partners now Um, others like i said are transitioning and radical in some you know more more uh, surgical ways And it's been interesting kind of navigating our relationships. Um, You know, that one is sort of interesting because it's someone that's new to a community, doesn't really know everybody. Um, And that's what's always really sad to me is you might have the biggest heart as a congregation in a church, and then one person says something, that was not even that bad. I've heard worse, you know. And, like, I can't control everybody in the congregation, you know. Um, and you're trying to kind of do some damage control or... Um, but it really takes kind of two people to work that out together. You know, I would hope that that person, like, yeah, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's go to coffee. You know, one thing, another thing I always say is we live in a soundbite culture that throws a soundbite out there. What do you believe about this? soundbite question. And they just want some soundbite answer. And these are not soundbite topics that we're talking about. So I said, anytime that you have a soundbite question flung at you, what do you believe, blah, blah, you know, whatever. Don't, don't get hooked. That's where you say things like, you know, that's probably a really layered, complex thing. I would love to have coffee with you, and let's talk about that. Then you know if they're really serious. And in a way, it's like I'm inviting them. I'm wanting to know them. And I could even spend the first part of that conversation at coffee. Just I just want to hear your story. You know, I just want to hear and just all those questions. I'd love to hear about how you came to start transitioning. I would love to hear that. And then you can sort of get, and then as they realize, oh, you want to know me as a person, you know, that opens a little bit of trust and maybe like, well, let's talk about this disagreement thing. Um, Just because someone has some different views doesn't mean, I think we disagree with, do you agree with everything that everybody does that you're friends with? And you're still friends with them? Like, okay, so let's sort of figure that out, you know? Um, So, and like I said, it sort of takes two people to do that. If they're willing to go there with you, willing to to, to really gut that out together as opposed to, you just want my soundbite answer. And then you can like be happy or pissed about that, I don't know, right? Yeah, so.
1: Thank you so much. That was wonderful. And, and just an example, we should all be doing that to people that are struggling with a life <laughs> that is so mixed up no matter whether you're heterosexual homosexual. And, and, and until we engage and be fellowships and have that friendship, it's really hard to be able to share. God's love with you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I, one of the things that I always talk about is, what because like I said, we have... A, you know, some seminars, three-hour seminars that we do, we'd be glad to do on Zoom for your congregation or whatever. But one of the things that, and I talk about those four groups of people, like the LGBTQ community, that Christian affirming community, sort of the people that are wanting to walk out their convictions and still sort of getting flack for that. Like, I'm gay, but I'm not Practicing or whatever that word is, I'm, it doesn't take much practice either. I'm, I'm pretty good at it, but or just the people that have left. Those are four pastoral communities that I would interact very differently with, you know. But one of my first things is always just to say, enter the conversation from a place of humility. And the fact that I even have to say that makes me kind of sad. But I know I don't always, you know. It's like, and I think that that's what I did with my friends as we decided, you know what? I really care about you more than being right about something. I mean, I, this is my belief, and I don't have the whole truth either. I only know it sort of through a mirror darkly, you know, but, um, but, you know, we've been willing to just sort of go there. And that's been kind of hard, especially when someone has a different theology. That's a little rough, you know, because we can really sort of scrape on each other. And then watching, you know, having them, they're starting to get married, and I have this really different belief about what marriage is. Um, So we had some hard conversations, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like we're still going to be friends We're still going to walk this out together because their stories aren't over and it's not that I'm like I'm just praying that I want I want what I pray for my LGBTQ friends or those who have left or Those that are just wherever It's like I just want Jesus in your life and he'll take care of it. I just want to pray Jesus your light, your life, into their life. I'm amazed. I have a lot of friends that have left the church and the fact that they still even talk to me is kind of amazing. But I pray for them a lot. Because you know who God loves a lot? Prodigals! He loves prodigals like a ton. So pray for those prodigals. But yeah, so um, I just want Jesus in their life. And then I'll, then I'll be glad to let him take care of it in their timing and what they need and how they hear it. Yeah. So. Any last thoughts?
2: <laughs>
3: just, just to say, um, because I've dealt with this personally, sometimes we can be quick to blame the, the well-meaning Christian who's, who's maybe saying the wrong thing. And the problem is, with the LGBT community right now, their their sexuality is their identity. And so if you reject that piece of sexuality, they interpret it as you rejecting them. They don't interpret it as, I love you, in spite of the fact that I don't think this behavior is good for you. What they hear is, if you don't accept my behavior, you're rejecting me. And that's why this transgender person probably was so offended. Because for them, it was like a total rejection, not just we love you, we want to get to know you better, Right. we just happen to think that your gender and sex are the same thing. You know, for them, that's, you're rejecting me.
0: It. Well, and I'm always like, why do you start there? Like, why are you just like, I disagree with this. It's like, why would you start there? <laughs> I mean, yes, I have a belief system, but do I want to really start with that? Like, we can have that conversation. I guess my, my point is Dana. that
3: we can be quick to blame. Oh,
0: yeah. The, the well-meaning, As an
3: orthodox, well-meaning right. person, when what they said might not even have been that offensive, right. it was just taken to be that way.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, th- I'm only saying that because
3: I've dealt with it, and I'm far from perfect. Believe me. Right. Oh. But I've been on the other end of that. It's mm-hmm. difficult.
0: Yeah. So, yes, I'm sure. Like, um, I would say, like most of the time, people are not wanting to be malicious, and then we just flub.
3: And sometimes they are. Sometimes and sometimes, are. yeah. And sometimes from
0: that LGBTQ want to be like malicious and that's really scary and harmful too Um, but a lot of times there's sort of you know there's grace yeah and I just want to say too as far as like you know being a parent how complex that is I mean that's a really different realm than you know we're just kind of talking about relationally because that's a very deep when it's your kid Um, but I do want to say that um, we offer a family and friends, support. I have a couple on our staff, Steve and Jill Houston, who um, oversee our family and friends, and so they're glad to talk with anybody, just to to talk because they have been probably dealing with um, a daughter who, I mean, over the span of 20 years has kind of been in a lot of different places with them, and um, I just think it's really great for parents to have other parents to talk to. Um, and we have a weekly, we also have a weekly support group, and we're doing it every other, I mean, we were just this little meeting in Denver, but then when everything got shut down, we started doing Zoom, and like, probably most of your churches ever, but you have people Zooming in from all over now. Um, so there's support by Zoom, via Zoom, um, and it's just always great. I just, I, I have a real big heart for parents, because I think, um, I just want parents to have their own space where they can feel sort of whatever they need to feel as opposed to this is what you should be thinking this is how you should be feeling and it's like no you should have your own space to sort of go through your own emotional thing with this like i said it's a lot deeper when it's your kid so i just i have a real heart for parents and a real space protected space for them so there's resources if you guys know any parents or come across parents that we're glad to Um, Steve and Jill are glad just to meet with them on Zoom, or if they're local. Like, let's just sort of sit down and chat for an hour. You know, how can we sort of be supportive? Or if you want to be part of that support group um, atmosphere where it's like other parents talking and just sharing and finding out how they're navigating things. So I just just want to sort of make a plug for that because I think that's a really important space that parents need.
5: You brought up the word resources again, and just for those of us left here, I
4: don't know what your situations are, but um, our 31-year-old daughter told us five months ago that she has been living with in her partner for a while, um, and resources, they didn't need resources. Um, so we began to read what was um, recommended what our daughter wanted us to read. But I want to tell you that was the book that a heart is called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. And that is about Jesus. And that's what we needed in the midst of all of this reading and thinking, praying, crying, weeping, um, feeling like you're we dying. We
1: needed to hear about Jesus and the truth about Him. So, I put that on our resources.
0: Absolutely. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. Yeah. Awesome. always Loving to hear more resources available. Any other thoughts? You guys are so awesome. Just Uh, still here.
3: uh, My name's Eric, and I'm an alcoholic. Oh wait, I'm sorry, wrong (laughs) group. In in the last year, I had I had a 15 year old come out as gay, and a 13 year old come out as trans. Two daughters who I had primary custody of since they were. One too much, so this is. I really appreciate this group uh, that uh, you presented, and, you did. and it's devastating, it is, it will rock It rocks your world, but we're finding Christ is, is sufficient to get us through each day. And uh, but I just appreciate what you've shared, yeah, it's really helpful.
0: No, thank you guys for sharing your own stories too, just because that's a real vulnerable thing, and uh. I think it's also awesome to realize, wow, we're not alone in any of this at all. We really, do have, we really do need each other to kind of walk through some of these deep places together. So I'm really glad that they even just um, sort of allow a space. It's always on Friday when it's like the last thing too. <laughs> Like last time I was like, okay, it was in Denver, so I literally drove, did my workshop and it was over and then I went home. Oh, that would be awesome I don't mind being Friday but it's sort of like I just got here like literally I just got here like um, this morning (laughs) and I was like oh yeah it's over this whole thing is over and then I'll be at the eco um, gathering in Dallas in February I think it is yeah so Let us know. Like I said, I I put that on the resourcing. If there's any way that I or our ministry can be a support to you guys, please let us know.